Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Milius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Brooke Adams Law. Brooke Adams Law is an award-winning author and founder of the Writing Brave movement. Brooke helps creative, intuitive women claim their author identity so that they can start, finish, and publish brave, dazzling books. Brooke's debut novel, Catchlight, won the Fairfield Book Prize, was named a Best Indie Book of 2020 by Kirkus Reviews, and was featured on Good Morning America's blog. Let's dive into the pond and meet Brooke. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Brooke Adams Law. Brooke, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my gosh, Jen, I'm really excited to talk. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And I would love for you to start with how did you get into writing? Oh my gosh, I love this question. So <laughs> I can remember being like four years old and my mom teaching me how to print. And I would just have her like dot out pages and pages of like the alphabet and words and sentences. And like, I would just trace them like painstakingly. Like, so I can remember from that age, like just not like feeling like a pencil in my hand and like forming letters and being like, there's something about this. And it's really fun because my own daughter is almost four years old and she's like the same. And so she's doing the same. Like she loves tracing. She loves printing. Like, and I mean, she's not even four yet and she can write mom. Like it's really cool. So it feels like a big deal to me, but I can remember like writing a story in third grade and it was a mystery story about like something that happened in my backyard. And so, I don't know, I can remember just from really early ages, just loving writing and, and also, right. So like, I remember in seventh grade, I won a prize at the local library for a short story that I had written. And you can actually, this is so funny. You can still check out my story. They had it like bound as a book. It's called Spellbound. And you can still check it out of the Huntington Valley Library in suburban Pennsylvania or suburban Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. So that's just like really fun. <laughs> um, I love What's that? I love that. <laughs> I know. It's really fun. And I can also remember, I feel like as early as like high school, knowing that I was meant to be a writer and then also having a lot of like fear about writing and fear of like, I think I read a book around maybe like senior of high school where the character was, I think a musician or an artist of some kind. And he said something like, you know, I'm always afraid that the thing inside me, I'll never be able to bring it out or that I'll find out there's nothing there at all. And I remember being like 17 and being like, oh, that's how I feel. <laughs> and it sounds very dramatic, but that was like really how it felt to me. And so just sort of like, I think writing through that fear or choosing to write in spite of the fear has also been something that I've been practicing for a long time. I, okay. So you've hit on something. So 17 having this like epiphany essentially mm -hmm. and so what do you do with it you can't just leave me hanging that's a cliffhanger that we have to keep going <laughs> yeah so I remember feeling like just having this sense of like there was something growing inside me that wanted to be told but I didn't know like what it was or how to access it or what to do with that sense and I remember feeling like I wanted like I knew that I wanted to write a book one day. And so I remember thinking like, well, maybe one day I'll just like, and I feel like this is the way I would see it represented in movies is like somebody has an idea 
And then they stay up all night and they write the whole book, right? Overnight or something. And I was just sort of like, well, maybe that'll happen for me. And I was sort of like waiting for it to happen. And like, it didn't happen, right? That's that's not how my books come through me. I think some people maybe have that experience. But I think I was always looking for opportunities of like, where can I practice this skill of writing? So I was an English major in college, but I remember taking like a creative writing class when I was maybe 19 and being like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to write. You know, I'm not like a literary criticism person. <laughs> like I'm meant to be doing like these creative, this creative writing, these stories. And I think that was really when I started practicing, like finding my own writing voice. So would you go into that even a little bit more? Because what I like about what you're describing is that it feels like divine breadcrumbs is how I like mm, to describe it, where yes. something happens and then you kind of take the next step and you sit with that and you take the next step. There's a, okay, so I love animations and Disney has one with Monsters, Inc., where Boo is getting like a little, like a Cheerio at a time and Sully's trying to lead her, Mike is trying to lead her into another spot, but they don't give her the whole box at the beginning. (laughs) They kind of give her a little bit at a time. And when she gets where she was supposed to be, she gets the whole box of Cheerios. I love that. (laughs) But that's sort of how it feels like what's happening for you and possibly Mm -hmm. for other writers too, where they feel like they get this inkling, this idea or this, ooh, and then take the next step and have that Cheerio, take the next step and have that Cheerio type of thing. So that's kind of what I'm hearing with you, but how did that, so to your point where you had this epiphany and it's around a a fear had come up of, oh, I could let this die inside. This could happen. Mm. Now we've, you're exploring it a little bit more does that fear still creep up during that time frame, or is it more about getting quelled because you're pursuing this a little bit? Ooh, I love this question. So I remember writing my first short story. I remember exactly where I was for this college class, like in my sophomore year dorm room. And I had this assignment to write a short story. I think I only had like a week to do it, which to me now, see, I'm like, that seems like a very short time, but that was, I was like under deadline. And I remember I sat down on my computer and I just, at my little laptop and I just typed, I'm so scared. And I was scared. Again, I was, it was like this fear of like, I want to bring forth this thing, but also what if there's nothing in there, right? And I thought, okay, what if I just use that as the first line of the story? And I did. And so it was like this, and I don't even remember fully what it was about, but there was there was a character and it wasn't even me. There was a character who was afraid of something. And I started using that to like build into, right, this something fictional that happened. And I, I really don't remember anything about that story, except it started with the word, I'm so scared. And it was like using my own emotion, but then kind of imagining somebody else having that emotion and what they might have it about. Which is really interesting because I think a lot of my writing, that's how it starts is I have an emotion that I want to explore and I'm like, okay, how can I set this in a fictional character and explore it in a totally different way than I'm experiencing it? And that feels really fun for me. Yeah. But I also feel like that would be cathartic. A lot of times like journaling or just allowing your curiosity to take over versus saying, well, this has to be perfect. No, what I'm just doing is allowing the curiosity to be the lead and see where it takes me. And that's what I hear you doing is almost putting that in in a pivot of saying, yes, I'm afraid. But if instead of letting, focusing on the fear, shifting and focusing on the curiosity and letting Mm. that, and to be curious and to take those steps is a form of being brave. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love that what you said so much. And the only thing I would say is I think it's like, 
you said feeling afraid, but then pivoting. And I think it's like feeling afraid and pivoting. Like, uh, I feel yes. like right? okay. it does it, right? So it's not like I feel afraid and put a pin in it and I'm like, and then I'm going to go over here. It's like feeling that fear and kind of letting it fuel me into the thing that I want to explore. And I think now in my writing practice, like I, like right now it's very present is sort of the fear looks different, but it, and it's still there. And the fear it looks like now is I have this vision for the book I'm writing now and what it wants to become. And there's this fear of like, can I execute it to the vision, the level of the vision that I have? And I think that's a good sign because it means that I'm like reaching for something that's like, like a little bit above my skill level, right? So I have to rise to meet it. So it feels scary. And to your point, also brave, um, which is the name of my company is called Writing Brave. So I feel like it's very, um, it's very apropos. I was feeling that. And you're right. You're right. That it really isn't a pivot that just, okay, I'm done. Pivot. No, no. I was thinking, uh, feeling it as that in tandem, but there's a point that you're like, I can either choose to let this continue to be the driver, or I can choose to start to, to make that and shift my thinking or make that pivot. So there's, there is a a point where you are kind of feeling a, a decision of sorts, even Mm -hmm. if you don't, sit there and actively go, I am now making a decision. You yes. are, there's that feeling inside that's like, okay, I can either let this continue to to get at me and build and feel frustrated or nervous or, you know, constantly procrastinated. Or I can say, I get it. You're there. Give me your hand. Give mm. me your hand fear. Okay. I'll hold it, but we're going to go this way. Yes. I hear you, but we're going to go this way type yes. of thing. And that's yes. what I'm hearing. For sure. And I love that analogy, that metaphor that you brought up so much. And I was telling some of my clients just the other day that like they were dealing with right writer's blog and procrastinating, like saying they're going to write and then not writing or not feeling like writing and all the things. And I was just like, listen, like, right. Sometimes you just take it by the hand, the, the part of you that doesn't want to write, you take it by the hand and say, but this is our writing time and we're going to write now. And I said, it's kind of like having, like, I have an almost four-year-old and it's kind of like saying like, I know you don't want to get in the car right now and it's time to get in the car right now. And so I'm going to pick you up and put you in the car, even though you're kicking and screaming. Right. So sometimes it's like, we have to do that with ourselves of like, I know you don't feel like writing right now. This is the time that we said that we were going to write. And so we're just going to, we're just going to bring all the parts. Like we bring the kicking and screaming parts and, uh, and we just bring them with us instead of letting them kind of like rule the day. (laughs) I, I love that. I I, I love that. And you're right that, you know, I kind of see us all as adults as like all oversized six-year-olds anyway. So we can be (laughs) oversized four-year-olds too, but I mean, but still that there is that fear of, okay, well, what if I, well, what if I don't feel like it today? Well, you may not have that external driver, that accountability partner, or that coach, or that editor, or somewhat something else saying, no, this is what we're doing. Like a parent saying, you're going in the seat anyway, let's get mm-hmm. you buckled in. Um, <laughs> but you can create something like that for yourself, even if it is saying, hey, I need to ask somebody to go look, I need to send you chapters. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't read them, I need to be able to send them and you are expecting them because it is making me move forward. It's helping me and you're working around yourself. Like I've yeah. had clients do that too, where you know, one had a speaking engagement and she said, I need to work with you on my my keynote, my speech. And so we were working through it. And she said, after the fact, she said, 
honestly, if I hadn't done that with you, I could have easily seen myself going, <laughs> I don't feel, I don't think I want to oh, do this. I might back yeah. out. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm so glad you didn't because this message needed to be shared, but yes. just, she knew that that could be something and she chose to do something different to help herself. I mean, mm. I, I, it didn't mean she wasn't scared. Just like yes. what you were saying, doesn't mean you're not scared. It just means you're figuring out a way to move through it so you can rise to meet that level. Cause I yes. love what you said earlier about this other piece. This piece is something more it's expecting more because it's a different level for you. And everyone has that bigger for you thing. Mm. But you need to rise to meet it. And you wouldn't have been given that if it, if you couldn't do it. Mm. I genuinely oh, believe you. that you have, you were, you were given it because you're the right person. Yes. Yes. I believe that. And right. And there's still that little fear to keep it like spicy, but it's like perfect spicy. because it, and like I said, it lets me know that like I'm reaching for that next level. And I love what you said too, about like, right. When that fear is coming, it's like, we get to engage the support that we need. Like your client who was like, I'm going to right, I, I might've backed out if she didn't kind of hire you to help her. Right. So it's like looking at like, well, what support would make me feel like I have enough, again, I have enough resources to, go forward into the fear. So I think we don't have to always bootstrap it with no help, right? I think we get to have, we get to call in the help that we really need and want. Yes, yes, yes. But I think that also goes back to being brave because I think that, you know, sometimes we might know what we need or we believe we need that, but now we have to be vulnerable and ask for help. Mm. Might be vulnerable to share the piece and get feedback. And you might even feel like, you know, I don't want to impose on anybody else, or you might need to do some other things, you know, reset some other expectations of yourself in order to be brave to go mm. and to achieve the goal that you had, write that next book, write that bigger book for yourself or hit publish for that book that you've written. And you're like, okay, it's done. Will anybody want to read it? Yep. You don't know if you don't hit publish. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you won't know if you don't talk about it. <laughs> yep, for sure. So how would you, when you're talking about writing brave, how do you help clients work through that? Like, Obviously you are working through it for yourself and modeling what they can do, but what tips do you, would you offer to a new writer or an experienced writer who might be in their heads a bit? Mm, yeah, I love this. So a lot of what I do in writing brave is based in kind of somatic work and energy work. And so a lot of what we do the first step is really kind of getting back into the body. And I think one thing that I notice a lot of writers like in your head, right. It's like, you kind of, it's almost like, and I describe it as like, it's like your body is just carrying around the computer of your brain all the time. Right. And you're just like, so focused on the computer, like what your brain is thinking and, and analyzing and right. You kind of only see the world through all these filters that your thoughts are presenting you. And so the first thing we start with is literally like, so every class that I do, I'm like, okay, Notice your feet on the floor. Notice how your body feels in your chair right now. So if you're listening, like you can do it along and it's sort of like looking around your space. Like, what do you see in your space right now? Like, what did you choose to bring in? Like what kind of shapes or colors do you see? we talk about like, what do you hear? What sounds do you hear right now? And we kind of, and then we kind of bring in like 
how is your body feeling right now? Like, are you tired? Are you energized? Is anything sore? Did you work out this morning? And like your calves are sore, right? Like we kind of go through like, how does your body feel? And then we talk about like, what emotions are present for you right now? Like, are you feeling anxious? Are you happy? Are you content? Like, are you anxious? Are you sad? Right. All these things. And then like, where are you feeling those in your body? So we really kind of go through, like, I get people into this habit of really checking in as often as possible with like what's happening in their body so that, right. And then we kind of build these other tool sets. So for example, a big piece of what I teach is, and a lot of people ask me this question, a lot of people who are writing memoir are saying things like, how do I write this thing? That's really hard for me to remember. It's hard for me to talk about. And then I talk about this for fiction writers too, because in my first book, an early draft of it, I got feedback that was basically like, you're holding back on the emotion. Like you're not kind of going all in on the emotion. So what I talk to people about is like the risk it takes to write through those hard things, those deep moments, um, that like intensity. So whether it's something that happened to you in your life, or it's something you're kind of imagining a character going through, being able to be in your body and notice how your emotions feel in your body and connect with your body, and then be able to write some of those things from that embodied place makes a really big difference in how you show up to the page. So I think that's a big piece of how we start out again, is getting into the body and then there are specific tools I teach for when you're writing that those intense scenes of like how to go all the way in and really say it and then come all the way out and be able to like go about your day and sort of not be dragged down by it. That's something I hear a lot too, especially memoir writers start writing about like a traumatic event or something like that. And then they're, they, they go into a freeze, right? Which is a very common trauma response. And, and so we talk about like, how do you kind of titrate those like little bits at a time? So I think those are kind of some of the big pieces that I start with. Absolutely. I, that's actually what was coming to me was, you know, any writing in particular, if it's a, a scene that's rather challenging or uncomfortable for you to write, then you're dealing with some of that. But also a memoir in particular, especially even if you're not writing linear, linearly, but mm -hmm. if you are going back to, okay, I've got to write this point and you're in the part of the book, that's the darkest night of the soul period. Yeah. So for you, you've, you're coming down to this place versus starting at this light, happy spot that might've started at the beginning and yep. writing linearly. You, yep. you, if you've moved around or if you've been writing, even even if you have write, written linearly, you still might not have start, gotten it all done in one day. So yep. you're at this dark night of the soul part. And then it's, oh my gosh, I have to start here and write out mm. versus start lighter and move my way in to move my way out and mm -hmm. you're right that there's wounds that you're working through or scars really because yep. even though this is a scar in a lot of cases when you're revisiting you're still feeling those feelings again even when you can still look at it as a scar Yes. Yeah. And I think that's something that I talk a lot about too, is sort of there. And there's a couple of things. I think there's a piece where there's writing about, like you said, scars, things that have happened that were really painful for you. And like that, so there's a layer of that and kind of opening some of that back up that can be really intense. And then another piece of it is I teach a lot about this idea of healing creative wounds. And what I mean by that piece is sort of moments when you made something and it wasn't well received and it can kind of block 
even like, like, right. So I have somebody was just telling me a story about, um, you know, terrible feedback they got from a high school teacher who said, you know, you sh- you'll never be a writer, right? All like, ter- like almost everyone I work with has some story of like some horrible teacher or professor who said something mean to them, right? So it's like when you sit down, you're not only confronting what happened to you when you were 10 years old, you're also confronting, right, the, what this person said to you or this professor or this teacher, right? So it's kind of all layered on top of each other. So we start like gently separating it out and just giving it space and right, like, like being kind to that past part of yourself. Right. And so I think, yeah, they kind of come, they come at play together. And I just think like, people do not talk enough about how brave you have to be to write anything. Like it takes a lot of courage, right. To sit down and, and be like, I'm going to write this thing and maybe someone will read it and maybe they won't. But I think it just takes a lot of bravery to go in and do the work. And it's sort of an unsung act of courage. So then let's follow that a little bit, because I believe the same thing that uh, as a developmental editor, I tend to see pieces in a very raw state before they're moving to a next phase, right? That's usually when somebody's bringing in work that they think they need more, they think the story needs more strength, or they're trying to make sure that it's all together, but they're not it's not ready for line editing yet. It's yes. not, and they might've gotten some beta feedback, but still they're looking for more support. And I know that it takes courage just to even give it to me to ask. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad that the, a person feels like they can share this piece and trust that their vulnerability is safe. But how would you encourage someone who feels like, I am not sure I'm ready to share this piece with everybody, anybody, despite the fact I have in my heart, I want to hit publish. I want to have this book out because I, it's this, this goal that I have, but then, oh, that means I have to share it. I have to give it to an editor, even if it's, I need a line editor or any copy or what have you. I need a designer. I need to give it to beta readers and so forth. Oh, and then actual people reading it and leaving reviews yeah. <laughs> so how would how would you help them to even just in that first piece just to say look keep moving yes keep moving. yeah and I love the way you kind of gave there all these interim steps and I think part of the way that we do anything big and brave is that we kind of build our capacity incrementally, right? So it's just like, I mean, it's an overused analogy, but it's just like going to the gym and like, you can't go to the gym and lift like a hundred pounds, right? Like you start with like the five pound weights and then you do the 10 pounds weight. Like, I feel like it really is like that of like building your capacity of people reading your work. And so I think one thing that I say is, first of all, if people are like afraid to even sit down and write anything because they're afraid of people someday reading it, it's like almost that you create this like bubble for yourself of being like, no one's going to read it until I'm ready. And you kind of give yourself that creative safety of just like, I'm going to write this for me and no one's going to read it until I'm ready. But to your question of like, you know, if you, if people know they need to take that first step of like having an editor read it, I think part of it is finding someone who is going to be compassionate with your work. So like Jen, right. is clearly like very (laughs) compassionate, right. So finding somebody who, and maybe like you email them and say like, could we have a phone call? And like, could I kind of like meet the person, get a sense of what they're really like and how they work? Because I will say like, I have had people come to me who worked with an editor or like a developmental editor or a book coach or somebody and, and got, had a terrible experience. Right. So I'm not saying that it's not that that never happens because it it does happen. And so, and I think it's really important 
to get a sense, not just of like how somebody works on like the crafts level, like how they think about books, but also like, what is their energy like? I mean, are they, and does it match yours and what you're looking for, right? So maybe you want somebody who's the opposite of you, who's going to be like really straightforward, or maybe you want somebody again, who's going to like hold you in like, great, this like hug energy. Um, So I think it's just being clear with yourself of what would make you feel kind of maybe not totally safe, but like as safe as you could possibly feel kind of in that level of risk and, and find that person who kind of matches that. I love that you mentioned risk because to your point, being brave means that there is a calculated risk that you're taking and you are calculating it. It's not just that I'm just going to jump off and, and hope. No, you've, right. you've thought about it, you but you're still aware and you're still taking that next step. And Brave means you're doing something, you know, courageous. You're doing something that's important to you. Mm-hmm. You're doing something that matters. And so, I mean, I love. And that. also, I want to just add to all that. Yeah. Also, something where you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Like, I think yes. that's part of taking the risk is you don't know, you don't know what the outcome is. You don't know if the person's going to come back and say, I love this book. It's publishable as it is. Or you have two more years of work ahead of you, which is like (laughs) feedback that I have gotten. Right. So it's like, right. Like, um, yeah, I think part of it is you don't know the outcome and and that's what makes it risky. And it's fun to take the risk anyway. (laughs) So to your point about your own writing, Mm. so Catch Light is the debut book and Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about what, like showing how this was applied to help other, so help our writers who might be listening going, okay, so how you kind of applying it in action, if you will. Yes. Ooh, I love this. And yes, I can do that. Okay. So <laughs> I first had the idea for Catchlight. So I, I mentioned that when I was 17, I wanted to like have an idea download and like know what the book was going to be. So actually when I was 22, actually the idea came to me. And so it was sort of, so the book is about four grown siblings who can't stand each other and their mother's diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And it's a story of how they have to figure out not just how they're going to take care of her, but also how they're going to come back and be in relationship with each other. Right. So part of it came from an idea of, you know, my grandmother had just passed away due to complications from Alzheimer's and it's not based on my family, but I had seen, I was sort of like watching my dad and my dad has five siblings, how like I was away at college, but I was sort of seeing from afar, like how different things were playing out. And I was sort of imagining like, okay, how might this situation play out in a different family? And just sort of seeing like what all the, you know, the circumstances were in the different moments that happened. So I had this idea and I remember like, um, so I had just graduated college and I was living at home and I was working at Starbucks and I was having a lot of shame about the fact that I was living at home and working at Starbucks. And also I had this book idea. And so I used to go to another Starbucks where I didn't work, but I would get my employee discount and I would like, you know, type all afternoon and just have all these ideas. And I remember at the time I had so much fear as we've been discussing. I couldn't even say to myself, I'm writing a novel. Literally my thought was like, I'm writing this thing that someday maybe potentially could one day become a novel. Like I was like, literally that was kind of how the only way that I could get myself to sit down would be like, this isn't a novel, but maybe someday it could be right. Like it was literally that level of like, it was almost like tricking myself into it. It was like, because otherwise I think it would have felt almost too intimidating. So in any case, I worked on it kind of on and off 
for like a few years and I had a draft and I was like, I know that I could do better. Like I knew that it could be better. And I was like, but I just don't know what to do. Like, how do I make it better? And I saw literally an advert, a Google ad on my computer for a low residency MFA program. So a master of fine arts in creative writing. And it was based in Mystic, Connecticut. And I was like, that's it. I'm going there. And I remember it was like November. I applied for the following summer because they had two entry points. And I remember the director emailed me and he was like, we have a spot open for December. Do you want to come to the resident? Do you want to start next month? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Right. And also, and so I went, it was so scary. I didn't know anybody. I remember it was a snow. It was like a blizzard. I showed up two days late. I couldn't even get there like on time. So I show up two days late. Everyone is already like in the groove and they're like, don't worry, you can catch up. And I'm like, catch up. <laughs> oh my God. So anyway, and I still remember like my first workshop, I had been, I was like confident, like I put, I sent in the first chapter and I was like, I'm really proud. It's a good first chapter. And basically everyone was like, this is not the first chapter. Like you need to start. It, it took, it took place at a funeral, not the main characters, you know, but a funeral. And they were like, we need to go back like 10 steps. Who is this person that died? Like what? Right. Like, and I was like, Right. Like it was like this terrible, like, I really thought I was like a little cocky going in. Like, yeah, I think my chapter is pretty good. And everyone was like, no, no, this is not chapter one. We need a lot more about these characters. Right. And so just so much feedback. And so I had a whole draft of the book and I thought I'm going to start over from the beginning. And I did. I started over with like a blank document, page one, took people's feedback. And I went back, I was like, okay, what would have happened 50 pages earlier. Right. And I was like, and I started imagining that. Right. So two years of the MFA, I, I started over a second time from page one. Cause I was like, I really know now <laughs> this is what I'm trying to do, whatever I got through the whole draft. But I think that piece of like being constantly, um, writing and then getting feedback and then writing and getting feedback and then not taking some of the feedback, but then taking some of the feedback. Right. So, and like discerning which feedback is in line with my vision which feedback is not and sort of learning how to kind of calibrate that piece was really impactful. And in the end, I told you this at the beginning, but it took me seven years to write the book from right from that moment when I was 22 and I first had the idea all the way to the end. So I, I wasn't working on it the whole time, but like, you know, from, I, from inception to the book being done is about seven years. And then it took me six years to get it published, but I was just relentless. <laughs> So the book came out in 2020 and I'm really proud of it. And I think every moment of the way was just like, I'm feeling the fear and I'm just going to keep going. Like whatever level I was at, it's just like the next, just going to take the next action and I'm going to do it afraid because I was afraid the whole time. But like little by little, you know, I got from beginning to end. But I, I love what you just said about, you know, I didn't know I was afraid, but you saw a step. It wasn't mm -hmm. like you saw the whole thing of here's how, but you just knew the end goal and yeah. you knew I'm just going to, I'm sitting here and I'm afraid. And sometimes that's one of the most uncomfortable things in the sense that you don't know what that next step is yet. Mm. So waiting is that step and mm. knowing how long to wait, knowing, and then dealing with the fear while we're waiting, because it's almost kind of like fear. It's like, oh, let me just pull up a seat. We can talk about this now. And it's like, no, we can't. Yes. I need to have the other things on my mind until 
the step appears and it's not talking to you right now. Mm. So you can just sit there, little fear buddy. And yes. we're just going to sit, we're going to pretend we're in silent mode and see, <laughs> we're going to play one of those cards that you see in the gate, in the, you know, in the car, like who can be the quietest? I <laughs> love to your fear buddy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that so much. Yes. But for that's, sure. That's what I'm hearing is that to your point about discerning when to take feedback, when not to, it was also when to take action and mm -hmm. when to wait or what, mm. what was the right action to take? Because just because you had the idea and you had a piece that you knew could move, you still chose to say, okay, well, does it need to go to editing yet? Or is it, do I need more work? Or when mm. I got to the spot where I realized now it's ready, now it can go to this very next phase. Yes, fear came up, but the step became a lot clearer too. Yes, for sure. Yes. And it's like that old saying about, you know, you can't see to the, your end destination, like in the dark, but your headlights can see just far enough, right. For you to keep driving. Yeah. It's exactly like that. And it, it does, it's sort of just being with the fear until the next step becomes clear. I love the way you said that. Brooke, this has been absolutely awesome. I Where can people connect with you? Where can they, uh, possibly work with you to work through their fear. <laughs> mm, yes. So you can find me at my website, which is wearewritingbrave.com. And I have a quiz there where you can find out your writing routine personality, which is really fun. And that will also get you on my newsletter. And there's also information on the website of how I work with folks. And you can also follow me on Instagram, which is at wearewritingbrave. So yeah, I would love to connect. And where can they get Catchlight? You can buy it anywhere online that books are sold. So Amazon, it's on pals.com. If you go to bookshop.org, that will help you order from your local independent bookstore, which I highly recommend. Um, but all the online retailers have it. And it's Catchlight, all one word. Awesome. Brooke, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you. It was so fun. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about Tough Fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermilius.com forward slash tough fish.